Well, we're going to start a little mini-series uh, today. Uh, some people like a good mini-series, right? Uh, probably won't be like Dark on Masterpiece or anything, but uh, I think it'd be pretty good. It is really... Some of you have no idea what I'm even talking about. Uh, that's something that Lisa likes to watch. I don't know. Um, it's going to be connected to uh, the creation stuff that they've been learning in vacation Bible school, and um, you'll see, I guess. Uh, can you tell I really prayed about this? <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. I'm just trying to formulate my thoughts, because we're going to begin this today. Uh, it's going to be more like, I don't know, it's going to be like a conversation, but one of those conversations when you don't talk, just I talk. Uh, have you ever been in those conversations before? Someone says, oh, it's great talking to you, and you think, I didn't say anything. Uh, so, I guess the gist is, first of all, it's World Emoji Day, so I had to put, you know, something up there. So, uh, so if you tag your status on your social media, uh, Pat, Lois, Charlene, when you go into your social media and you tag yourself, Pauline, uh, make sure you, uh, they're used to my teasing. Uh, they just give me that look. Uh, make sure you tag that you're at church right now at Norwalk Grace and then choose your favorite emoji because today's... World Emoji Day, so whatever. Um, what, what's wrong with you guys? You're like, uh, is it hot in here, or what's the deal? You're all like, uh. Bonnie, thanks for those cookies this morning, just when I needed. Those were good. Okay, all right. Um, we're going to connect a literal, historical interpretation of Genesis 3 to helping people with their problems. And you're like, oh, how does that connect? Uh, at the end of these few weeks, you'll see how it connects. Um, there's just a lot of things swirling through my head. Um, I think for a lot of Christians, Genesis is thought of as a lost cause. Right? Uh, for a lot of Christians, not for you, I know. Not for me either. She's just going to hurt herself shaking her head. Uh, but it's not for me either. But for a lot of Christians... Ugh, we did the evolution and science battle. You know, we did all that and we lost. Uh, there, there are a lot of Christians uh, who do not believe in a literal six-day, 24-hour creation. Now, I'm not looking at anybody because there may be brothers and sisters here. Uh, but I will wrestle you. I'm not as good as your kids, but I will wrestle you to the mat. Uh, except for Roxy. I don't want to do that. Um, to prove to you that Genesis teaches that God created everything in six literal 24-hour days. Uh, not days that means millions of years and there were no gaps in there or anything. But I will uh, fight for that doctrine. But it, it's really been abandoned by a lot of Christians. We don't have time to get into all of it. But if we're going to abandon that, and if we're going to abandon looking at Genesis, let's say, 1 through 6, you know, because the flood is in there, too. If we're going to abandon that as being literal, as being historical, as being actual, there's even one, you know, as a pastor, I operate in some theological circles, you know, with uh, so-called great minds. I'm just along for the ride. Uh, but... There, one of the, there's a popular teaching that's now really circulating. Uh, and 
those that really believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible are trying to fight this doctrine off because it's false. Uh, and these are born again believers and theologians that are now saying they don't think Adam was really an actual historical person. Um, that that account in Genesis is more of a mythological story with great spiritual teaching. Um, but I'm so glad a lot of you are going, mm, I'm glad Good. we should go. Mm, mm. So. But if we're going to abandon that, if we're going to abandon the belief that Adam was a real person, that Eve was a real person, if we're going to abandon that they were created directly by God without a sin nature, uh, that's going to have a whole lot of devastating consequences on our worldview. Uh, how we see ourselves, how we see the purpose of life, uh, how we understand why we have problems, why we age, uh, you know, all kinds of things are impacted. Uh, so I personally hold to and I hope you hold to uh, what's called a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of Scripture, meaning God gave us his word in words. Because he wanted us to understand. And sometimes those words do have spiritual meaning and their symbolism, but always the normal rules of communication apply. I mean, God didn't speak to us in riddles and then tell us to go figure it out. Um, but that's what a lot of people teach. And so you tell me. That's a rhetorical question. I don't want you to really tell me right now. Uh, but you tell me why Christians often abandon what they believed once was taught. It's not just the creation and origins issue. Uh, marriage issues, homosexuality issues, uh, gender equality issues, uh, like husband-wife roles and responsibilities, that kind of thing. Um, the deity of Christ, uh, the virgin birth. Uh, by the way, I've met a lot of people who tell me they're born again, but they don't believe in the deity of Christ which means, you know, Jesus is God, Romans one or and they don't believe in the virgin birth. And then. I really get the popularity points when I tell them, then you can't be born again if you don't believe in the deity of Christ. Uh, so but why do because if Jesus wasn't God, then he was just like you and me. And when he died on that cross for our sins, it wouldn't have been effective. But. Why do people, why do Christians, why do people who call themselves Christians change their minds on things? And maybe you've gone through that. So I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying gently in a spirit of love. Uh, I want to be careful. Well, I think uh, in our day and age, with, I think we could use the homosexuality issue as an example. I think a lot of it is cultural pressure cultural pressure there's pressure on us as Bible believing Christians to go along with the crowd uh, and not just that issue that I mentioned but I mean even origins issue where we came from how we got here why do we exist we could use that as well what are you talking about you know and we hear this language all the time don't we uh, it's a scientific fact that evolution which by the way <laughs> Evolution is not a scientific fact. Uh, evolution is a theory. Uh, and it's a really bad theory because a theory has to be tested. Do you realize the scientific for in order for something to be scientific, you have to be able to test it. Yeah, and if it's not testable, 
then it's not scientific. Yeah. Heard an echo. No. No. Yeah. He's right. So, but see, there's cultural pressure, right? And then we're ridiculed and the Bible is denigrated uh, and we're accused of being simplistic, uh, uneducated, all that kind of stuff. Then, so there's cultural pressure, right? And folks, just let me encourage you. See, I'm in no hurry. We're going to start this today and we'll stop when it's time to stop. But what do the scriptures say? Stand firm. Stand firm. Why? And it's not a negative stand firm. Uh, I think many times we as Christians are very clear about what we're against. But I think in order to be people of hope, we have to also make clear what we're for. It's not just that we're against evolution, but we're for a divine creator. Uh, We're not just against homosexuality. We are for the God-designed plan for marriage. And, And why? And why? Because for hope. For hope, because we know that God has instituted all of his boundaries. Just like we read in Proverbs 8, that God is the one who set the boundaries for the waters, that the waters would not transgress those boundaries and we all drown. Why does God give us boundaries? To restrict us, to protect us, you know, so we have to make clear not just what we're against, but we have to make clear what we're for. Uh, And I, for one, can easily slide into the I'm against mode. Uh, I'm a great dictator. I would have made a great dictator. Uh, Just ask my kids. I, I, I prefer the dictator style of ruling in the home. Uh, And let me tell you, it's not very effective. Uh, So the Lord knocked me down a few rungs and we've got our act together. So always feel sorry for my oldest because he was the guinea pig. Uh, But anyway, but what's cool is I remember going to him and apologizing for being not a very good dad. He looked at me, goes, what are you talking about? You were a great dad. I was like, "Ooh, that's why you're my favorite. Okay. So. But we want to be careful Uh, I can slide easily into that. I'm against, you know, you go on the bandwagon and, you know, but even if we're the most loving, sensitive, kind, compassionate, gentle witness for the Lord. The world will still hate us. And, And I think the church, capital C, spends a lot of time trying to find a way to present our message without offending. Folks, that's not possible. And that's not a biblical principle. We can be offensive without offending. You know, the the nature of being a Christian involves suffering. It involves being an object of hatred at times. Um, The message we have is offensive. How many of you love hearing that you're a sinner? How many of you just love it? Uh, How many of you guys love it when your wife comes to correct or rebuke you for something you did? Right. You just love that. Oh, thank you, dear, for pointing out my faults. That was so kind of you. And you know what? I'll file that away and I'll be thinking about that. Right. That's that's what we do. Yeah. You're so wonderful, honey. Thanks for criticizing me. Uh, No, nobody likes to hear that. The message is offensive. Right. Uh, But as we'll see. Keep this in mind as we move through this. My, my goal for what we're doing, and I'm going to clarify it as we go through, you, you will be challenged. Some of the things we currently believe will be challenged. And you may have to think to yourself, whoa, 
I've been believing the wrong things. That's not okay, and that is okay. We're all human, right? We're all human. That's why we have the scriptures to clarify our thinking. Uh, and I by no means am perfect. Uh, I'm glad Lisa's not here. We can amen on that. Uh, but have you ever been in the scriptures and you just come under such deep conviction? Uh, and it's almost, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have to wake up at night because I'm under such deep conviction uh, of my sin or of something that's been troubling me. Uh, and I have to go to the scriptures, you know, and I have to pray or I'm worried. Uh, some of us, uh, you know, there should be an Olympic event for worrying because, man, some of us could compete for that gold medal. Uh, but it's tough, right? Uh, Life is hard. Life is full of problems. But this series, really the goal that I'd like us to get out of this is we cannot truly offer real help unless we have the right diagnosis. If somebody comes to you with a problem, you know, I'm a pastor, so people come to me with their problems. And by the way, folks, and I mean this sincerely and not joking, I love it when you come to me with your problems. I, I love to help. I love to help. I know sometimes you leave my office and you're thinking and I'm thinking, ooh, that did a lot of good. Uh, sometimes. But I like to help. Don't, don't ever, because some of you have told me, oh, pastor, I don't want to burden you. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Burden me. Look at me. I'm not petite. I can take a lot. Uh, besides, what does the New Testament say? I think it's Galatians. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Uh, but this little mini-series, you know, the theme for VBS is what? Oceans commotion. So I tweaked it, tweaked it a little bit. Emotions commotion. And then I thought, emoji, emotions. And I went, because I don't have emojis on my phone because I'm like 200 years old and I don't even know how to use my phone. Uh, so I just Googled emojis and downloaded one. So I know, I need help. My technology skills are like, there are elementary school kids that show me how to use my technology. But we're going to look at Genesis 3. That's tiny up there. It says Genesis 3, sin and the psyche. Um, how to help people with their problems. And maybe you're thinking, help people? What about help me? I got problems. Okay, all right. How to help yourself uh, with your problems. But I just want to tell you, first of all, up front. It doesn't matter what the problem is. Jesus Christ is the solution. And you may think, well, that's pretty simplistic. Uh, it's simplistic, but it's profound. Uh, and we'll see as we go through this. Uh, another thing to keep in mind, I don't even know what's next. Okay. Another thing to keep in mind. Uh, can we look up those scriptures? Can we have some folks look up, except for the Proverbs 8, 22 and 31? We read that earlier. But can we look up these scriptures? You, when I say we, I mean you, not me. Uh, and I'm going to ask you folks to read these out loud for all of us. OK, so if you're brave, you don't have to stand up. You can stay seated. Uh, but, you know, it's really the same thing under attack that's been under attack since the very beginning. And that is the authority of God's word and the sufficiency of God's word. You know, even way back in the garden with the first man and first woman, when the deceiver came in to talk to them, what's one of the first things he said he said, did God really say, hmm. trying to undermine God's authority, 
trying to undermine the sufficiency of God's word. It's really the same today on any of these issues. Uh, It doesn't matter if it's gender equality, uh, the LGBT issues, uh, the violence that's prevalent all around the world. Uh, You know, we as Christians have the answers. And you'll see that as we go through this series. Uh, And you'll, well, I don't want to say too much more, but we have the answers uh, for all those things. But remember, there are always competing answers. There are always alternative answers, right, for everything. There's a whole slew of ways to approach a problem. Uh, My belief is that the Bible is not just one approach. My Bible is the approach that trumps all other approaches when we're trying to address the problems that people deal with. It, It is just a matter of accurately understanding the scriptures and knowing how to accurately apply the scriptures. A lot of Christians are ashamed of the Bible. A lot of Christians don't understand just how relevant the scriptures are to address all the things that we struggle with as human beings. Uh, Let me tell you, they are sufficient and beyond uh, if you just give the Bible a chance. Um, Anyway, uh, Hebrews 11.3, does anyone have that? These are passages dealing with the fact that the first thing we want to lay in a foundation is we believe that we were divinely created. So by faith, we believe that everything that was made was made out of what we cannot see. You know, the Hebrew for that is pretty cool. It's no big deal to throw around Hebrew and Greek words, but I like the term ex nihilo. Uh, It almost sounds like a video game. Uh, Yeah, I took it down in ex nihilo. Uh, That means something out of nothing. That means God simply spoke and there it was. And by the way, when God created the fruit trees, he created the fruit trees with fruit fully on it, full of seeds. Because that's what a God does. Uh, What about Psalm 19, 1 through 4? Anybody have that? Go ahead and read that. Heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their utterances to the end of the world. And then He has placed the tent of His mind. So the heavens, and the word for heavens there in Psalm 19 is not talking about the heavens where... God lives only. It's talking about, you know, there's three different heavens. You look up, you see the blue sky. Then you go beyond that into the outer universes. That's also the heavens. And then there's the abode of God. What what the psalmist is saying is all we have to do is look around and we see that things have been created. Uh, Even last Sunday uh, with our guest speaker in Sunday school, when he was looking at the human cell uh, and the role of water in the human cell. Uh, And the complexity and also that the basic materials that make up the human body actually are toxic and destructive. So it's almost like God is saying, hey, you want to recreate life? Go ahead. Here are the materials. Let's see how it goes. Uh, But God took destructive, toxic materials and created human life. Hmm. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I know some toxic people. That's not what I mean. Okay, that's not what I mean. 
what about Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9? Not 6 through 9, but just 6 and 9. Okay, that. By the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their bones. For he spoke, and it was done, and commanded, and it stood back. So by the word of the Lord, the worlds were made. He spoke. And whoop, there it is. Right? Right? It, it's, are you blown away? I mean, do we, do we ever stop to think? See, in my head also thinks about all the implications. If I believe that I have been created by God, what does that then mean that the unbeliever and the unbelieving scientist hates? If I believe that I was created by God, then I must be accountable to that God. See, that's where the problem is. Right? Yeah. What about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20? So God's wisdom created the waters and everything else. What about John? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Some of you could quote these. Ruth? Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And who specifically is John 1, 1 through 3 talking about? Jesus. Did you realize that Jesus Christ is credited in the scriptures with being the one there doing the creating. We don't often think about that. Father, Son, and Spirit were all involved in the creation. That's really fascinating, isn't it? That, that boggles my mind that the one who created stepped down into the creation which he created. Wow. That, that's amazing. That's almost like an artist paints a picture and then steps into that picture. I mean, Wow. It's really amazing. What about, uh, lastly, there, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17? For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. For the throne of the vision of Holden, for our authority, all things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things all together. So he created all things and in him all things hold together. Who is Colossians chapter one talking about? Jesus Christ, because the next verse says, and he is the head of the church. So scripture is clear that Jesus is the creator. So there's some implications there, right? If I don't believe that I was created by Jesus Christ and I cut myself loose from that, then that's got some pretty tragic consequences uh, on how a person lives his life. Okay, are we okay so far? I really, when I was picturing and practicing this, I was talking as fast as a speeding bullet, and I thought, I need to slow down, right? What's the, what's the hurry? Uh, a great book, you know, I love books, uh, but uh, a new book just came out. Uh, the editor, his last name is Rao. 
R-A-W. A lot of people love the creation and science stuff. Some of you here love that kind of stuff, and I'm glad. Uh, but it's called uh, Mapping the Origins Debate, and then I'll share another book with you in a moment. The second book I like much better because it's much easier to read. Uh, but listen to what uh, he says. He's a believer. He says, what is eternal? There are only two possible answers, either the natural world or something supernatural. Thus, the debate about origins, where we came from, is a conflict between two diametrically opposed viewpoints, the naturalistic viewpoint and the supernatural. Does that make sense? There's only two choices for explaining how we got here. Either natural processes or supernatural. Those are the only two choices. So he goes on to say, since the universe is present, since it's here, it either always was here or it came into existence at some point. And if it came into existence, something present, either some other source of the same matter and energy or something with the ability to create matter and energy. There are only two logical choices for what is eternal, natural or supernatural. It makes sense, right? We're here, right? You're here. You may mentally not be here, but physically you're here. So you had to get here somehow. There's only two choices. You either got here through some sort of process of naturalistic, whatever, evolution or whatever you want to believe, Big Bang and all that. Which, by the way, I always scratch my head. Uh, I love seeing stuff get blown up. I don't know if it's because I'm a guy or what. Maybe there are some gals. I just love to see things get blown up. It's fun. Uh, I have never once seen anything new and pristine and organized fall out of an explosion. Have you? When they blew up part of that bridge down there, did we hear in reports that when they blew up that bridge, they looked and had formed into a beautiful new skyscraper? Order does not come out of chaos. It it doesn't even make any sense. You can't have a cosmic explosion that results in intricate, complex design and order. It doesn't make any sense. So we want to be pro-choice. I'm just making sure you're awake. Uh, Not that pro-choice. You must choose your worldview. Remember, the topic on the table is origins, where we came from. A literal understanding of Genesis 1 through 6. How did you get here? Why are you here? You know, do you understand that that's a really important question? Why are you here? My wife loves that movie, Last of the Mohicans, when those sisters were in that fort. And Daniel Day-Lewis snuck in there, right, to rescue them. And... uh, then her dad, one of them had a Scottish accent. He goes, why are you here? My wife loves to say that over and over. But I always think that's a good that's a good life question. Why are you here? It's hard to live day in and day out if you don't know why you're here. It's dark. It's discouraging. It's hopeless. That's why we need to have an understanding of Genesis one through six. I'm here 
because a creator God designed me in my mother's womb and brought me into this world and I exist to bring him glory. That gives me a reason to get up. And I just want to be honest with you. There have been times in my life when that was the only reason that made me get up. Because someone created me and I'm supposed to love him and serve him and honor him. And that means the first thing I do is get out of bed and I'm getting kind of worldly. Get out of bed like Taylor Swift and shake it off. I don't know. Okay. That's bad. I shouldn't know those things. I don't know. I guess when you have, when you have kids, you know things that you shouldn't know. Okay. Romans 1, we don't need to turn there. Uh, but, you know, those verses 19 and 21 say that there are people who claim to be very wise, but in reality, they're foolish because they can look all around and see that a God exists. They may not be able to know him personally in a saving way by seeing what exists, but they're able to look around at what exists and say, hey, there's a God. But they choose instead to say, no, there's no God. And they begin to worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And then they declare themselves to be very wise. But they're really fools. And it's so ironic that we are called the fools for believing in Genesis 1 through 6. But God says we're very wise if we believe that. I I would rather have God's approval than man's. Uh, and, And it's not always easy But at the end of the day and at the end of my life, I would much rather have God's approval than man's. Second Peter three says, uh, you know, if you believe, okay, we believe in supernaturalism. We believe that God supernaturally intervened to create. He supernaturally intervened to bring a worldwide global flood. And then the scriptures say that he supernaturally intervened to send Jesus Christ. Then the fourth supernatural intervention into the affairs of men will happen at the end. That's what Second Peter is talking about. We believe that he will supernaturally intervene to bring global destruction once again. And in the mystical depths of his will, that brings him glory. And then Peter says, if you believe these things are true, what type of people should you be in all godliness? So you see, it should have an impact If I believe in supernaturalism, if I believe that I was created by a divine God and I believe that he will divinely come again, that should have a deep impact on the way I live my life. And I will say this, the way I live my life is direct reflection of the level of my belief. It can be discouraging. A lot of times I cling to that verse in the Gospels where that soldier said, I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I don't know about you, but I'm a mixture of belief and unbelief. And depending on the circumstances, it's like, uh, you know, I couldn't get the mustard out. I hate when I I squeeze the mustard and all it comes out is that clear mustard water. I hate that. Don't you hate that? Yeah. So you got mustard water all over your hot dog. and I don't like that. But depending, picture a squeeze bottle. I know I'm supposed to shake it and shake it off. Okay, no. Uh, But depending on the circumstances that squeeze me, that mixture of belief and unbelief comes out, right? Under the pressures of life. Uh, But 
what kind of people should we be in living godly lives if we really believe in supernaturalism? Meaning God will intervene. He intervened at the beginning. He's going to intervene at the end. Yeah. So it's very important that Christ's followers know and proclaim not only what we are against, but what we are for. First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within you. Are you ready? Oh, my word. I love. I, I realize that not all people are like me. My wife's not like me. Praise the Lord. Uh, we would have separated long ago. Uh, but, you know, she did a very dangerous thing. She left town for two weeks, left me by myself. Uh, so, you know where I went first. Whole Foods, where I'm not allowed to go. Uh, she's gone. It's her fault, right? Um, so I was running around. Oh, that reminds me. Hey, they're not here. Don't forget. Not next Sunday, but on the 31st, we're going to have a surprise cake and gift and punch for Ron and Dee Muir for their 50th wedding anniversary. So you can still contribute to that if you would like to give toward that. I think we've, I think we've got $350 come in so far, which is tremendous. My goal is to try to get them a couple nights in Santa Barbara because that's their favorite place. Uh, to get away. So anyway, they're not here. Um, so I was running around looking, you know, our anniversary is coming up and uh, I was looking for something. Um, someone had given us 28 years ago. One of our wedding gifts was this picnic basket, like a Victorian. I don't know. Like, anyway, Lisa loves it, but it had hit the road after 28 years. I, she did say, oh, maybe I should throw that away. Well, she left, so I threw it away. Um, I I know. <laughs> hey, one of the rules of marriage is it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, but I'm going to replace it. That's the surprise. Uh, it's pretty beat up. It's, it looks like it's been dragged through a lot of picnics. Uh, but anyway, I'm taking a long way around here. Uh, so I was at Bellaterra in Huntington Beach, you know, on beach in 405. Uh, all the places I'm not supposed to be because they're too expensive. But. She's not here. So I went to that Bed Bath & Beyond, the place I would never go. Uh, I felt very out of my element. Uh, I thought it was about Buzz Lightyear, you know, and beyond. So I, so I had to ask this lady, do you have any picnic baskets? Uh, but anyway, what I'm trying to say is um, just a conversation started. And before I knew it, I was sharing with her about the Lord. Uh, and she told me, and that's no credit to me, uh, but then she claimed to be a believer uh, and she was telling me her story about her and her husband. And uh, But here's the point. Talking about what we're for as believers. You know, we're for the love of Christ. We're for forgiveness of sins. We're for helping people. Uh, if we take advantage of the opportunities to share the hope that we have, you would just be amazed at the way people just open up and start to talk to you. Uh, if they sense that you care, if you're genuinely interested in their spiritual condition, uh, they'll, they'll start. She was supposed to be working. She just started pouring out of her heart. And, you know, was by the escalator, people coming and going. I was like, awkward. Okay, but, but, you know, but taking advantage of those opportunities, right, to give an account for the hope, letting people know what we're for, not just what we're against. I already mentioned this with these issues we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Uh, Remember what's at stake, always at stake from the garden to the day in which we live is the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. 
Do we see the Bible as authoritative, especially in issues of uh, origins, where we came from, and the issue of helping people solve their problems? Some of you are really nervous about this. Well, you have to come back next week. We have like three minutes. I really want to read these scriptures. So can you guys grab these? We have like three minutes. Let's finish by reading these scriptures. Christ and your problems. And if anyone here is here this morning and you don't have any problems, I'd really like to talk to you uh, because you'll have a problem. You'll have me if you try to tell me you don't have any problems. Um, Do you guys have family members or good friends that call you with their problems? Right. Just raise your hands. Yeah. People are always. We live in a sin fallen world, don't we? Remember a book I read once, it was called People in Need, Helping People in Need. That's like, that's good, because that's who we are. Ezekiel 13, verses 10 through 12. Someone read that. Since they have led my people astray, saying, peace, when there is no peace, or when someone builds a wall, they plaster it with, with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who plaster that it will fall. Spiritual rain will come, and I will send hell storm plunging down, and windstorm will be released. Now when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the foot of whitewash that you put on it? So this is what the Lord God says, I will release the windstorm in my wrath. So the rain will come in my anger, and hell will the fall in The point there is, people have problems and the spiritual leaders say, oh, we can deal with this. And they put up a wall, which was supposed to point to protection, but it's a flimsy wall. And it's covered over with whitewash, meaning no substance. They weren't any help at all because they weren't giving the proper help. They weren't giving God-driven help. Uh, Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14. Or chapter 2, verse 13. Either one of those. I could call on people. They have treated, the, which was that, six or two? Chapter six? Chapter six. They treat the wounds of my people superficially. Meaning, my people have problems. They go to you for help. You don't take care of them like you should. What about chapter two, verse 13 of Jeremiah? My So my people have forsaken me and they've gone to these wells, broken wells that can't even hold water. So they're going to places to get nourishment because water means nourishment. But they're trying to water themselves from a source that is not equipped to help. Remember, we said it earlier, it doesn't matter what the problem is. The solution is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be delving into. Since we're doing oceans commotion, I want us to dive deeper. That's what these passages are saying. Yes, people have afflictions. Yes, people have mental struggles. There may even be a physical component to it. But there's something deeper below that that's really our greatest problem. And we are equipped to handle those. Uh, Second Peter chapter one, verse three. 
His divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. The sufficiency of scripture. He has given us every resource to deal with every problem of life. He, here in the word, it's a radical statement, you guys, radical. This Bible, in the right hands, being handled accurately, is sufficient enough to help you deal with whatever it is you're dealing with. Some of you look like a deer in the headlines. It's provocative, isn't it? We'll talk more about this next week. And they're out there waiting. So let's go. First Timothy 4, 8. Godliness has value both for this life and the life to come. Once again, sufficiency. Second Timothy 3.16 and Hebrews 4.12. So that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. And then lastly, Hebrews 4 12. The Word of God is living and active, able to penetrate right down to the soul. To the soul. In what is psychology? Study of the soul. And now we just read that the word of God can penetrate deeper than any human psychology. Father, thanks for our time together today. I hope it was uh, beneficial. Most of all, I hope it honored you. Uh, I hope you were pleased with what was said. I pray that we're beginning to get just a glimpse uh, of the fact that what we have in you uh, is the most tremendous resource we can have to make our way through this world and through this life. And I think many of us as Christians have to recapture that hope and that confidence in the scriptures as the all-powerful, all-sufficient remedy for the things that we struggle with. And we need to turn away from competing voices, competing psychologies, competing uh, methodologies and ideas and come back again. You, you told your people, Israel, they've committed two sins. They've forsaken me and turned to others for counsel. Uh, and I think that's what we need to hear this morning as well. And it's not just a negative statement. It's a positive statement that with Christ and with the scriptures, we have what people desperately need. And we desperately need it ourselves. So my prayer is that over the next two or three weeks as we do this little series, as we see that your word and your spirit and your church and your son uh, have equipped us to be able to face anything that comes our way and that we can rejoice and that we can have confidence and we can walk with you uh, in just a way that transforms us and reinvigorates our faith. Uh, so that's my hope. That's my prayer. Thanks for letting us 
have the privilege of hearing you speak through your word this morning, Father. I pray you would use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.